0: Welcome to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast kindly sponsored by Harborough. Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales and this week we cross the water to Northern Ireland and I have with me a very busy lady, Libby Clark from Marlin. Libby, welcome to the podcast. Thanks
1: Andy, it's great to be part of it.
0: Well Libby, as I said, I know you're busy and we'll talk about what you get get up to uh, yourself in a moment but uh, first I want to hop back to your, your father who... Uh, who who was a very well-known gentleman in and amongst the the livestock industry, and and, uh, I think we go back into the 70s there. Just give me a little bit more information on on how he got started.
1: Yeah, absolutely. My dad was a livestock auctioneer, um, I suppose what he was most widely known for. His name was Tom Clark, Um, and when he really started off his career, he actually went and studied modern languages at Queen's University, Belfast, and then got a kind of a reminder that he needed to come home and farm and forget about the education and that's what he had to do. My grandfather wasn't particularly well at the time and he packed in the languages and his life on the road uh, with a jazz band to come home and farm and then maybe that wasn't quite enough to keep him going so he went out and worked for the Royal Ulster Agricultural Society um, helping plan their events and getting you know the practicalities of getting their events up and running Mm -hmm. and he loved that and was always that really created the bond between our family and bad moral show right back from even before we were born he fell in love with Bob moral and that kind of love affair lasted his whole life Mm. Um, and while he was at Bob moral they had kind of all the bull sales the boar sales um as mainstream livestock events at that time because there really were no livestock marts of any description doing pedigree sales at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And George Allen, who was a complete entrepreneur and ahead of his time, had a livestock mart in Portadown called Automart Livestock and Farm and Property Sales. And he came across Dad at Balmoral and thought, you know what, this man has the ability to do maybe bigger and better things. And he got him to come and work for him. He actually said to him, I don't know what you're earning, but I'll double it. And that was, I suppose, was one of those things that if somebody's going to offer you that kind of an incentive, you go. And it worked in well. It was 15 minutes from our front door. um, And Daddy kind of went about, was allowed to give a kind of a free rein into how to maybe formulate a sales strategy and get all sales and things up and running and port it down. Um, and really within kind of two years, he'd actually bought the, the property from George. Oh. George gave him the opportunity because he could see dad had a passion for it and a flair for it. And he was good at it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and dad and mom um, took over the, the whole business kind of in, in the late 70s. Um, and Dad, he, he was quite a fair gentleman, so what he really thought was, well, if, if we can get these clubs, um, or the, you know, the pedigree bull sales or boar sales or sheep sales to come here, we can set up a formula whereby we earn money and the clubs, which really have are there to, to kind of a service for their members, but they're not really doing very much, they're not running sales or events, he then kind of got this Strategy in place where they were able to earn money, commit part of the commission, mm. and really it took the the breed clubs just really took off. Then, um, in fact, Daddy was the secretary, um, of of the Texels for many years. He was very involved and breed secretary in the Charlie cattle as well, and I do believe, and, and many of the old timers who who were around at this time will appreciate that Dad actually was probably the instigator in a way of of the clubs. Generating an income and being able to grow and expand and do other things with the money that come in, so it, it was always kind of improving how things were and still looking forward on on what a goal could be to make them the very best it could be.
0: And there wouldn't be many going back that way. The pedigree sales, the pedigree cattle that would be coming out of uh, out of Ireland, certainly it's the an Angus and the Short and that would of course all go across the water to Perth, wouldn't they? So there wasn't really a main a main sale for pedigree bulls even going back the way before before the Continentals came in.
1: That's exactly it. I mean, there was the odd kind of smaller sale held at Bam um while he was there, but it, it was on a very small scale because, I mean, some of them were very newly imported. People were still trying to grade them up and they weren't primarily in a position to, to host a sale. Uh, but that quickly changed. You know, you, you go to then kind of the 80s and the the sales were where they were maybe... I mean, it was always a busy week for us, say the first week in March, you had the Charlies on the Monday and Tuesday, as mm-hmm. well as a lamb sale with pigs on a Wednesday while getting ready for the limbs coming in. They sold on the on the Wednesday and Thursday and cattle sale on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And we did that all over again in November. And then that still wasn't enough as the, the breeders and the members, you know, their ability to breed and, and the demand um, from buyers meant then that we were running maybe three or four sales in the spring and a couple in the autumn time for these breed clubs. So it really was, it was a very strong time for pedigree breeding. And I think it really kind of in a way, it was like a real stronghold for Northern Ireland because we were able to, people were able to hop on the boat and come across and buy and and import to the UK. And also the market was open in the South. And because it was hard in the early days to maybe get something imported Um, it it really was the opportunity a lot of people needed, whether to get started into the breed as a pedigree breed from the start or to try these modern continental bulls, the Charlie, the Limas and the Simital, you you know, the British Blue or the Belgian Blue as they were known then. I mean, Mm. I remember those sales when there wasn't a seat in the house. It was fantastic.
0: And as you said, a few of those would have come over from from the mainland to UK, England and Scotland, I guess. And and there always was some good stock on offer, wasn't it? And it started to become a bit of a mecca for a lot of the guys going over there to pick up uh, to pick up genetics that maybe something slightly different and something perhaps that they couldn't get uh, in their own in you know, back back home, and, and sometimes at a price maybe that uh, that they thought was more reasonable. So you had a you had a great bunch of people and a great atmosphere going. there.
1: We did, and it it actually, the mart, the the way our mart was structured was, it, it had a great atmosphere. You could stand in one corner of it and view every part of it without having to step 10 steps. So the atmosphere, if you, if there was a sail or two sail rings going on at one time, the atmosphere was just fantastic. Um, and I suppose that in, in ways as they talk about the regional Perth market. And and I think each time a mart moves or gets bigger, um, I think you lose a bit of that atmosphere. And we yeah. were lucky that our, our mart wasn't overly big. Um, and it certainly always had a buzz about it. It was a fantastic place, even from a child growing up and, and running around the mart. It was the very best place to be.
0: And your father would would, would sell all the, all the livestock there. Was there about two or three auctioneers amongst them?
1: Well, he sold, um, everything. I mean, we had our backbone every week with the commercial sales. We sold lambs, pigs and cattle every week, uh, with three sale days, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, so he, he did the majority of the selling, um, on a Friday with the cattle. We might have had two or three rings and another couple of auctioneers drafted in for the pedigrees. He did all of the selling with the exception of when the Texels got so big, um, and we might have had three sale rings, um, he would he would have done one the night before and then stayed with the the rams all day and we brought a guest auctioneer in to do another ram ring and but that was just because the scale of the sale had got so big um, and and the appetite for buyers was they could actually walk across a, a gangway between the two rings and buy shearlings and ram lambs at the same time and they loved that it was all very convenient for them
0: certainly convenience is a thing isn't it when you go to these sales because it's a lot it's a long day out of people's people's work schedule to go there when they've got to wait for a shillings at the end of the day so when they can buy them both at the same time that's uh, that uh, that always comes in uh, brings brings a big attraction. of course things have changed now we'll go on to sort of how the how the markets and, and, and the livestock sales run these days but let's just go back to yourself a little bit uh libby there you you came in you kind of came into the business at a very young age didn't you
1: yeah, I was only five when daddy bought the business, so and he'd been working there before that, so it was. I don't really remember life without the, the mart as such. You kind of, um, even though it was dealing with livestock, it was a safe environment for us to be run about as, yep. ki- as kids of two older sisters as well. Perhaps. Um, but from an early age, I couldn't wait to get stuck in, and if that meant. Um, you know loading or unloading stock or dealing with the paperwork it, mostly outside the office was where I really enjoyed Um, and that went right through to, to late teens and then whenever I had finished agricultural college I worked there full-time and really dad just had to come in and do the selling then I, I organized the sales for him and Opened up and locked up and did just about everything in between. Between <laughs> loading cattle, numbering cattle, uh whatever needed done, cataloging or anything. um I enjoyed it. It was a great place to work.
0: I bet he can to, can wait for you to get to get away from college to to get in there. And you were at Greenmount, is that right?
1: Yeah so I went to all girls boarding school until I was 16 uh, and then went to Greenmount and I was the only girl so it was like oh there is a god <laughs> things <laughs> things are okay uh, and Greenmount was brilliant I did three years there including a year out in the middle where I went and milked cows for a year and did some silage contracting mm-hmm. um, and I loved it and I loved still the camaraderie if i bump into the any of the ones from green it, it's just like really you pick up where you left off even though it's 30 years ago um and, and now my daughter has a first year of Greenmount done and she, some of her best pals at the college are sons of people who were my year at green <laughs> so history's yeah. kind of a, a repeating itself which may bite me a bit
0: but uh it was a great place for it's a fantastic college yeah it certainly is and as you said you were at school there and i think you used to bunk off school or get off in, in the holidays and go straight back home and uh and get stuck in even when you're at school
1: yeah there was a train station was quite close to my boarding school so uh it brought us in to porter down if you got the train and and if you timed it well enough that say there was a sale i remember a sale of holstein cattle where they had been imported um from canada and they had come in and were like right okay how do we? Um, how did I get to this sale? And it was a no from mum. You're not having any more time off school. So I just got on the train and hopped on basically with arriving about an hour before sale time, which meant then everybody was too busy to send me back. And, and I mean, it's it's worth the odds swearing if you get to see or do something that you really enjoy.
0: <laughs> it's a, a better education. And I'm sure they understood that you're going to get a better education there than they would have done at school. And you took over the mart, I think, eventually. didn't. When, when was, You went very old when you took over the running of the mart.
1: Yeah, I ran the mart full time, basically, you know, whenever I was 20, Mm -hmm. um, which was great. Um, It allowed, I mean, we also had a farm at home, which Daddy and I ran the farm and ran the mart, which was good. There was a wee bit of come and go of if you had a later sale start and you could spend more time on the farm or vice versa. I mean, at certain times of the year, it was very busy. But um, yeah, I took over kind of the, the marketing and the sales for all the pedigree and the commercial. And it meant then that he could just, you know, come in and do the sales or whatever. And he didn't get bogged down with the queries or the problems or whatever. He could come in as fresh as a daisy, mm-hmm. sell the stock, have a bit of banter, a bit of fun, um, count up the money and go home. And it worked. Yeah, it was good fun in those days. I, I, in fact, in many ways, I wish
0: we'd never given it up. Mm-hmm. And, and you ran a, a herd of suckler cows, but you also had a few pedigree charleys and that's kind of where I know you from, is the days in Perth. You, but, uh, you, he was heavily into the charleys right from the get-go, wasn't he?
1: He was, yeah. He was lucky enough to get um, from the early importation and also um, get his hand some some great register at that time okay. and build up um, a number of Charleys. And then when he bought the Mart, he thought, right, these Charleys are hot property at the minute. So... He sold. Um, he, he had a sale actually in our in our barn in our yard, and there's photographs of it from years ago where the place is packed to the rafters. George Allen was doing the selling, and Dad was beside him in the rostrum. And I mean, they made fantastic money. Um, some of the great registers that he may well have paid like 150, 200 pounds for at that time were like 1500, 2000. I mean, it was it was mind blowing in a short space of time how much money he made on some of those cattle at that time. But that allowed him to go in and buy the mark. So it was a, a means to an end. Yeah. But we always kept pedigree Charleys and we still do. We have some pedigree Charlies.
0: Um, some, some of the best pedigree Charlies in, in the UK, I would say, come out of Northern Ireland. It's always been very strong. They used to bring a, a huge, strong contingent. used to come to, to Perth every year, and uh, and they were much wanted. Just a little bit more sheepy about them back then. I think they kept them a little bit more nearer the French type, didn't they?
1: yeah i think so and i think that is something that's nearly echoed right across the breeds northern ireland when it comes to um their genetics and the type of cattle they have they have what i call cattlemen's cattle they they have the type of cattle that commercial men can appreciate and understand and they're always really sought after because of that they have a bit of shape they have the style Yes, you will always have the exceptional breeders' animals, but as a rule, what comes out of Northern Ireland the heads in a boat across the water, right across all the breeds. I mean, they are on the top of their game, the breeders here, and always have been. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely, indeed. And and you took the you went out to the shows with the uh, with the cattle. You'd have been showing cattle again from a fairly early age, uh, Libby. You'd certainly be stuck right in the show. Yeah, uh,
1: uh, we were out showing when we were children. Daddy, Daddy would have been out showing Charlies. Um, and we would have been running about doing all those things, kind of probably getting in the way. But I suppose to a certain degree as kids, we were probably the reason he did go out showing. Mm-hmm. And then we kept it on. We we still do a bit of showing, whether it be Charlies or Beef Shorthorns. Um And it, it's just trying to fit it all in because quite often... I mean, Daddy find he got quite busy in the commentary side, and, and I do a bit of that as well, which means it's very hard to do all those things and yeah. show and run your business. Sure. But we still try and show, but my, my eldest daughter's very interested in it, and we, we try and keep that tradition up when we can.
0: Brilliant, and, you, and you've been over the Highland and, and had your fair share of tickets, I think, on, on the on the Scottish side of the water too.
1: Yeah, over the years we've been to the Highland um, and shown a number of times, both Shorthorns and Charlies, and, and I really enjoy that because that to me is a proper week off. When I'm at Balmoral and showing, you're still going home every night, whereas when you go to the Highland, again, the facilities are, are fantastic. You're given a really good welcome by the the team at the Highland and by the other exhibitors. And we've done really well. I mean, we've reserved Breed Champion in the Charlies um, when we partnered up with Elgin with the Stock Bull and, in um, the Shorthorns, again, we've had kind of reserve junior, um, we've had reserve female in the Charlies with the wee heifer we bred. So, yeah, we've, we've done reasonably well and it would be nice if somebody with a bit of sense would abolish this six-month standstill if we go across there at the minute uh, before we could take stock home. Um, we would like to show again. I would very much like to head to the the Highland, maybe with some big shorthorns again, um, or maybe Charlie, who knows? But we need somebody to to tidy up these rules at the minute for it, us.
0: It is made made it all very difficult for a lot of people on your side of the water, and I suppose that gives you that helps with your home sales, but it does make it very difficult to exhibit on our side. And talking of exhibiting and, and shows, you mentioned the Balmoral show, which is the the, the royal show with the in uh, Northern Ireland, and that's been as you said, a part of your life pretty much for, for, for all of it, and, and you're still involved.
1: Yeah. When Dad worked there, he took out life memberships for us all. Um, so I've been a life member for, I don't know, the most of 50 years. Mm. Um, and and I do love it. it. It is something that, you know, we count down the days to Bon Marl's show, and each year again, we're trying to improve the show. I mean, I absolutely love the memories I have of us growing up on, and playing and showing and socialising at Balmoral when it was in Belfast. Sure. Uh, but now now we're in a showground that's so twice the size. And, 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 I mean, we're really nearly bursting at the seams there. I mean, it really has gone on leaps and bounds and turned into a tremendous event now that people, I mean, it's impossible to get round it in one day. You need a few days now to get round it all. Mm. Um, and we've always felt a real kind of closeness to Balmoral in terms of, um you know, making sure that it's well supported and keeping the show alive and trying to keep newer people coming on board every year. Um, And I really think the team at Balmoral have done a fantastic job of doing that. I mean, this year's show in May there was just fantastic.
0: I didn't get to it, unfortunately. I I haven't been for a year. In fact, I don't think I've been since it moved, but uh, it's somewhere I'm on my list to get back to. Uh, We did a few shows this year and just sort of ran out of time. But your your father, as you said earlier on, did the commentary at the the show, and I think that's something uh, you inherited yourself.
1: Yeah, so Dad did the commentaries he, he was quite lucky. He did the the championship and the interbreeds for the the beef, the dairy, um, the pigs and the sheep. So we kind of got the pinnacle of each of the breed sections and dealt with that and dealt with the parade. And whenever I think I was maybe about fourteen or so, he found himself double booked, and the grand parade was on on the Friday um at the old ban Showgrounds, and he was working for um Danska bank or northern bank as it was then doing the commentary um but he also um had a slot booked with the bbc um uh, so he couldn't do it so i actually did it then so i'm i'm able to hear dad in the background and, and we're talking over him kind of for the for the tv thing so it was kind of surreal that mm-hmm. the two of us were doing it at the one time and then that was something that we picked up on um I, i've done quite a few bits and pieces for the BBC over the years uh, and UTV um, at Balmoral um, but I I kind of now because I've been so involved in the cattle section I do commentary during the week and then do the the beef championships and interbreed and the very favorite part of the show for me which is the parade we move into the horse arena on the Saturday afternoon and it really is quite a spectacle for visitors to the show Um, Maybe the last thing the, the exhibitors want on a Saturday after they've done X thousand steps is to head into the grand uh, the grand uh, arena but it is worth doing it's a fantastic site
0: it certainly is and it's uh, you know, as you said that gets the public interested in that and, and uh, the livestock are the backbone and the centerpiece of the show and some one or two other shows should take heed from that a little bit that they realize that uh, they don't quite realize how valuable the livestock are until, until they are they aren't there and I do a bit of commentating myself that did the Highland show and, and uh, yeah. do you does that go out TV televised do you, you televise most of the events live at the time?
1: Yeah there's um we have a YouTube service where it's live streamed which we picked up and ran with really primarily I think um when we were coming out of covid and we had our first show last September and we did that again maybe on a slightly scaled back version this year um but yeah we do try and do a, as much of that as we can certainly the the parade and things are all streamed and and they're streamed within the showgrounds as well there's okay. screens up so that people can see what's happening in different areas of of the showgrounds which is nice mm-hmm. um, but the crowd that came this year back again in may was fantastic i mean all was over i mean it's, it's a fairly small province if you take compared to the uk but we're you know always between 100 and 120,000 people uh come to the show over the four days which is fabulous
0: it's phenomenal, it is, and um, you said you've been involved, I think been on the, you've been on the council for the show for, for a long, long time, and you did credit the, you know, the team that are around at the Balmoral, but I think you know, they would credit you for, for the for the input you put in there, chairing various committees, and, and you're still involved just now.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of up to my neck, isn't it, as they say. Um, this will be my outgoing year as chairman of the cattle, so that's kind of, I mean, by the time you've that done and vice done, it's the guts of a 10-year stint. Mm-hmm, okay. um, and I have done chaired at various other committees within, you know, council, um, including, I suppose, whenever we were moving from the old showgrounds to the new one, they they had a vision group where we really had to look at the core elements of what we could do with the show and how what we saw as a vision for the new showgrounds. And I chaired it at the time. And it was very enjoyable to kind of have a, a blank canvas to work from and, and throw ideas back to the committees and see what worked for them or didn't work for them. Um, But yeah, it's a very enjoyable group and it's a very diverse group to be part of because, I mean, I suppose the the obvious thing people would say if they saw, you know, all of the council together is there's quite a diverse age, but I think that's fantastic because you've got experience, then you've got, I mean, I I feel quite young in council and I'm 50. (laughs) I think it's just then that you get the younger ones involved and now there's another group of younger ones coming in and that's progress that that the wheels keep turning as such
0: that's, that's good and you say that move and you sort of say it fairly matter-of-factly that we moved from one show to the other but it must have been terrifying prospect at the time to say right we're going to take this whole thing and then this phenomenon that's been there for for all these years and and, and the, all the crack that went around that and to move it to another venue and try and try and keep it the same obviously expanding it from a from a um a, a financial point of view but also from the from the exhibitor point of view as well, sort of bringing them back into something new and still trying to keep them coming and and, and keep the atmosphere there, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's like managing that balance between expectation and reality. Yes. And then when the green light was given that we were going from one showground to the next, the team at Bamoral, you know, the day-to-day full-time staff really put their back to the wheel and got, you know, arenas and lawns um, sorted. They got things mapped out and where. Tem- I mean, at the start, we were all kind of in marquees and things, rather than you know we've got a wonderful Logan Hall now for the cattle. We've got an icon building. It does take a while to grow into your settings, like when you build a house, the gardens, the last thing to kind of come into place. And it's the same with Balmoral. We have to grow into the showgrounds, and and I can honestly say this year, it really felt like we had just come home again because there was plenty of fun. There was plenty of crack in the showgrounds, and. And that's nearly what I was afraid of us missing more than anything, because it, the old showgrounds have personality. Yeah. But we definitely have started to find that and, and find our feet down um, at Ban Moral Park. And that's only going to keep improving.
0: I'm told by some of the exhibitors that when you're looking at the cattle, they look bigger in the ring because your rings are raised up and you're sort of watching from a slightly lower level. So cattle always grow when they go into that ring, which I think is obviously something you must have thought about.
1: yes maybe that's something the Highland can do instead of looking down on them the cattle do look good in our rings i think the the cattle rings on the the horse arenas and things are definitely the envy of other shows they're they're um they make the the stock look in their wedding dress so to speak
0: (laughs) and good stock that there is and just go on to some of your other stuff i know you do some charitable work and i think your father was involved in charitable work as well wasn't he
1: yeah, th- that is another thing. Dad always got quite involved. Now, obviously, the clubs and and their links to the societies meant they were always charities. But he also got involved in um the fields of life. He was one of the early campaigners of it, where they were helping at the time areas such as Uganda. The poor children were just on their knees, starving, and um he he ran sales where all of the commission went to these charities. Yeah. Um, and he did quite a lot of after dinner charity events and you know football clubs whatever whoever asked him he was always happy to get involved um and and it's something that I've got quite involved with as well I try and do something every year and if it's not me on my own um coming up with an idea it's somebody who's had an idea idea, and Libby can you help And, and it worked well I got um involved in their ambulance and I um, last year, and we, we kind of decided, even though we were still really in in the midst of COVID and restrictions as such, I, I chatted to my friend Richard Biddy, who's a livestock au- auctioneer over here, and I said, Richard, will we hold an online auction? Uh, and we did, and everybody's generosity—I mean, it knows no bounds—in terms of handing us items to auction. And again, on on the flip side of that, people, you know, putting their money where their mouth is and buying. Um and, and we were able, a fairly small group of us were able to come up with over £90,000 and that was divided by the Air Ambulance and the Cancer Fund for Children and we did a couple more events and basically within a year now we've come up with maybe about £140,000, £150,000 and I find that, I suppose I've got a few contacts here and there and people do love um, to get involved and help when it comes to charity um especially the farming the agricultural Um, sector I find they're usually the first ones with their hand up and say how can I help or I couldn't come to your auction or couldn't get involved but here's a few pounds Um, and and I mean the support that we've had has been amazing so as soon as we finish one event we just set our sights on what the next one can be Um, and it's been something we've kind of been brought up with Um, and I think if you have the ability to do it, get on and do it and carry as many people as you can.
0: I'm laughing because the old ad is still, you want a job doing Ask a Busy Person, and I can imagine <laughs> you struggling to say no to anybody, and, and uh, you must have a pretty busy diary. I know we've been a while trying to get to, together on, on this podcast, and uh, no, it's c- commendable work that you do, and you you also you know, you do a lot of publicity as well, and, and um, helping with other sales. And I think you did, uh, you've done some for James Alexander, the big sales that he has there. You get involved in, in, in quite a few other, other sales as well, don't you, still?
1: I I kind of do I was at James's last night he had a his Gimmer sale he had, uh 1200 Gimmers to sell last night and I, I help him with his publicity in the run up to the sale with the papers and things like that um and he, and he's a very good friend of me, mine and it, and it's been a good journey I've watched him since he started showing in 2006 turn into kind of the the machine that J-Lex is it, now. And, is and I, machine, even yes. in a very small way where I've helped in that, I'm really proud of that because he is ahead of his time mm. and people will look back and go, do you know what, didn't really realise how good that guy was at what he was doing. And and even I kind of, when I was up there last night, um, I was up on the rostrum with the h team last night and I thought, my goodness, I mean, we're selling sheep and there's a drone over my head. I mean, when did you ever think you would see these things? And I see a drone video up there today, and it is a very, very cool thing to watch.
0: I've not seen the video, but I gather he had a good sale again. And as you said, he always turns out good stock and is and ahead of his game. We've had him on the podcast before and uh, always looking forward, isn't he? And, and he's not the only one. There's there's two or three other breeders over there that you give a hand to as well. That again, forward thinking people.
1: Yeah, I think people understand now to a certain degree where you have to nearly, if you're not branding yourself, you have to wrap yourself up and put yourself out there and let people know what you're doing. And, and if I can help some of them there with a bit of publicity and doing that, I quite enjoy that as well. And and there is quite a good week. I mean, the, the James that I'm friendly with, Alfie Shaw that takes photographs is, again, he's fantastic at what he does. His daughter, Catherine, is now... Um, She's giving him a run for his money and his photographs. So there's a good tight wee team, but I suppose probably the most important part of that for me is we have so much fun doing it. I mean, the nights out, uh, you know, the crack that we have. We don't probably have them as much at the minute because James keeps running these blinking seals. We will do with a week or two off, but um, it, it's good fun, and that is really what's all about in our world.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Richard Beatty earlier on. Of course, you know, a well-known livestock auctioner himself, and and. Uh... And you get involved with him as well?
1: I do. Yeah, I help Richard and Selena with what they do. Uh, if I'm busy, they're busier. I mean, they're probably two of the busiest people I know. I mean, Richard's running um, a sale every day during the week. And three of those, actually four of those, are at night. I mean, on night sales and then still having to work the next day. Mm-hmm. But there, there, are, there are weeks of the year where maybe the calf sales are on. They've got some pe- special pedigree sales. They could be running 15, 16 sales in one week. And then just for the crack, he went and took on Glen Park Estate, which is a very unique um, old history park outside Oma. It has a hotel, it has a restaurant. He, him and Selena are working with that as well. So it is nice to be part of that, um, that setup as well because... Again, they work hard, but I, I appreciate when people work hard and put their heart and soul into something, it's a real pleasure to help them.
0: Exactly. You want, you want to be involved with people who have that work ethic, don't you? The same as you have. And, and besides that, uh, you go out and judge. You know, you've judged quite a few shows. I've seen you judging around about the place. Uh, you're, you're involved in judging cattle, interbreeds, all sorts of things.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. Um, I, I, and I suppose it, I've kind of I've done every show on Northern Ireland and, and a good few in the South. Um, I would say probably the most enjoyable was probably the beef shorthorns at the highland uh, and that was lovely because uh, daddy was still here to see it and he just loved that he loved that um i suppose he thought you know we've we've been breeding shorthorns for the most of 30 years right. or such but it's one of those kind of things that if your daughter's asked to judge something like that you know I've maybe brought her up the wrong, the right path. Absolutely, so I was uh, very here. happy that he was here, there to see it.
0: I can imagine the pride in that, and you've judged Carlisle, and I think you've judged, as you said, down in the south. And I think last week when I went to speak to you, you were doing the commentary. Was it Clougher Show you were doing? So said, I don't know how you fit it all in. interview? <laughs> yes, i, I was everywhere. Busy. <laughs> you wouldn't think
1: I had a full time job, would you?
0: Well, we come on to that because you do, of course, the, as well as that, you you are an estate agent and uh, and you buy and sell houses and farms, don't you?
1: Yeah, um, I have a, a little company called Joyce Clark Estate Agents, and it's it's very busy. It's very far reaching. I mean, I sell farms right across the six counties in Northern Ireland. Um, and I also, I mean, there's a team of us there. We're very, very busy with sales and also properties. We sell quite a lot of new build properties. Um, so it's it's a small team, but we're very effective. Um, and we're selling in a massive area. But, uh, I mean, it's long hours. Uh, I'm I'm actually the one who goes out and values all the resale houses to come on. Okay. Um, And I love it. I love walking through the door and not knowing what kind of house I'm going into or okay. how you know, how amazing somebody is at what they're doing in terms of their decor. I mean, every day is different, and I love that.
0: Mm-hmm. And and how, how is the market over there? Is it the same as it is maybe in, in mainland where people are moving out of the cities now and thinking, you know, we'll take a small lifestyle property on there? And, is that driving the price?
1: Yeah, I think COVID in a way helped the property market because for once people actually appreciated to the full value how important it was to have a house, to have a home, to have somewhere comfortable. If you're going to be working from home, you might need more space. We need a bigger house. Um, I mean I'm meeting people who are working from home full-time they have no childcare anymore they're saving 1500 pounds a month they want a bigger house I mean people understand now that um, if ever there was another lockdown which I hope there never is you know you don't want to live in a one-bedroom flat in the city anymore you want to be out of that environment if you can but I, I truly think people have 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 fallen back in love with their houses again and also we're seeing so many people now who don't have to leave the country to get the job with the american company or the london company or whatever Mm. they're interviewing by zoom and they're getting the job um at american salaries you know really strong salaries especially the the it kind of kids Mm. they're they're coming out with you know maybe starting salaries of 30 and thirty five thousand pounds so they're on the property market straight away where they may have, like the Celtic Tiger, they may have had to go to America for the first five years of their life and may or may not have come back. Sure. So I think COVID has done us a lot of good.
0: I, I'd, I'd agree. It's an ill wind that blows nobody any good. And, and you're right. It has changed the way people view their, their lifestyles, hasn't it? And are you getting some buyers coming over from uh, mainland or from other parts of the world? Are they sort of taking in, into Northern Ireland as a new home?
1: Yeah, uh, quite a lot of them maybe coming home that maybe okay. one one part of the partnership started off in northern ireland met their partner whatever i mean a lot of people i had a, I had a cost, customer last year and they sold a 700 square foot townhouse in crouch hand at, at nine hundred and fifty thousand. um and were able to buy a top of the range new build house here at 300 and you kind of think right well that puts life in perspective <laughs> with six, 600 grand in the bank and uh Still earning the London salary, so that's a bit of a win-win for people wanting to head home, which uh, uh, again has done the property market good.
0: I, I, I'm going to get my wife to listen to this because I know she's she, she's wants to go back to Scotland because that's her home there but maybe we'll have a look over there and give you a shout maybe see if you we can buy something a bit cheaper but uh, no that's brilliant to hear that, that, that as I said you do so many things and everybody knows you round and about the country for for different reasons and different places but you're still a social animal as well I mean you're, you're, we'll see you back and we, and we we get a dram together and, and and that's part of it as well isn't it you've got, to, you've got to enjoy what you do and you sound like you're absolutely loving it.
1: Yeah, I think because it is so varied. I mean, there's days when you're going, goodness, what direction am I going to go today? Because you've got, you're spinning so many plates at the one time. But if I didn't enjoy what I did, I would just do something else. But actually, it's a pleasure getting up every day and doing what I do. Um, and we do have great fun in the office that we have, but also outside. I mean, I count the farming side of it, my social life. Sure. Um, and there's some fantastic, um, guys and girls uh in that kind of world of all ages and we all mix together and it's great to see these shows back again where we can go out and have a bit of fun i'm looking forward hopefully to the back end and getting across to some of the ones um uh, you know in scotland for for the winter shows and see what the the crack is there because i didn't get to the highland this year so i feel like i've missed out yeah
0: yeah well, I hope if you're across to to the the Agri Expo Carlisle you'll hear me doing the commentary this year i think um if you get that far and very good and you've been uh, you've been listed for a lot of a reward and quite rightly so for awards in sort of various areas there, haven't you and uh, hopefully that uh, your efforts have been recognized across across the board
1: yeah i feel i feel very blessed actually that there's been you know people have nominated me for awards and have i've actually come out on top and it's always still a surprise even to be nominated to be to be honest with you um uh I've I've got a couple of awards I've, I've had the President's Award at Balmoral and, and the Farming Life Award for for Women in Agriculture um maybe a nice one of the most recent ones maybe one of the nicest ones was the campa- campaign that I came up with for the fundraising um, auction for Air Ambulance, actually won the UK Air Ambulance Award. Okay, um, so the wee group that I'm involved in there, we're delighted with that. And it's nice because, you know, maybe somebody will take that formula, uh, you know, and, and adopt it or recreate it, and, and they'll be successful with it. You know, I'm not territorial. If we come up with something good, let somebody else copy us.
0: Absolutely there, and encourage people, to encourage youngsters as well to get into the into the business. And as I said, you know, you've, you've done all that side of it, and your two girls... Oh uh, what seventeen and fifteen are they your, your two girls? But obviously both bound to go into agriculture and uh gonna follow in your shoes?
1: Yeah, well Lucy hopes to. Um she's actually starting her year out from college on a pig farm um in the in the next week or so and she's really looking forward to that. Uh so then she'll head back to college after that and do her final year and then she says she might do a bit more education. We'll see. She might get fond of working at that stage and earn her own money. Mm-hmm. Which wouldn't be a bad thing from my perspective, but um, Kate, I'm not sure whether she'll go into the farming world. She uh, she googled what can you earn the most money and do the least work at, and farming was not on any of those responses. <laughs> she, she did find orthodontist though, so I'm not sure that might. Uh, what did she tell me? A 100- hundred. Thousand pounds for twenty four hours a week, so I'm thinking we could fit that in between farming.
0: Spend your time looking in people's mouths. I think I'd probably rather be farming. I don't know, but uh, I, <laughs> I know. And you say farming? You do still run the farm, the, the home family farm at home, don't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. um I run that um with Lucy's help and Kate. If if we need somebody to stand in the gap, but yeah, I still run that. We we keep a few shorthorn and Charlie cows and calves, and the rest of the farm is an arable. Mm-hmm um and and it's very enjoyable i think sometimes if you've had a hectic or crazy or maybe a day where it has had a few blips or problems in it there is nothing like getting a walk around your cows in the evening to clear the head so um you could call that cow therapy but i do love the cows i just i'm not ever going to be cut out to work at home full time because i'm used to organizing and being busy and such so the balance suits me well yeah
0: yeah, it does. And as you said, being busy. And I, I almost feel guilty by taking up some of your time. But I think our, our listeners here will understand that, uh, that, that what you what you do on a, on a day-to-day is actually more than most people do in, in, on, a, on a week-to-week. And it's an incredible achievement, I have to say.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I do, I, I do love being busy. And I'm always kind of looking at what maybe the next event is that we could draw them mean It's been nice to recreate, for example you know the Christmas beef and lamb shows and get those up and running run at Balmoral and stuff mm-hmm. and and there's always a new element that we can bring into whether it be Balmoral or into my business or something that I can maybe say to one of my friends have you thought about this or could we do that and and I love that we're always looking ahead to see what we can do um new year better than we're doing now
0: well you as I said you're doing a fantastic job and I really appreciate uh, you taking the time out to talk to us Libby it's been an absolute pleasure
1: oh thank you Andy
0: brilliant thank you thank you for listening to this week's episode of top lines and Tales. and as always we're very grateful to our sponsors harborough who are suppliers and manufacturers of high quality feeds and as tups are getting now brought out for the shows and sales uh, we're not consider the clover range of pedigree feed from harborough which includes the market leading maximum kelso tup and lamb to find out more about harborough's products please visit their website or find them on social media And whilst on the subject of social media, don't forget to visit Top Lines and Tales' Facebook page where you'll find a whole load of great photographs from Libby Clark this week and uh, other photographs to back up this and other episodes.